0: Sometime in the late spring of 2006, I stepped out back during my shift at Ozark Outdoor Supply to take a phone call from a guy at MDH Builders, offering me a project management position for the hefty salary of $25,000 a year. It wasn't much, but it was better than the measly hourly wage I was earning at Ozark. I took the job and ended the call, starting the clock on an illustrious career in construction that would last no more than two and a half years. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. I built in a couple of weeks of time off in between leaving my job at Ozark and starting my new job at MDH Builders, mainly because I knew that it would likely be the last couple of free weeks in a row that I would have off for like the foreseeable future. And that was a pretty hard pill to swallow. Um, But, you know, I needed a job. I needed a real career. So we built in a couple of weeks to just kind of celebrate me finishing college and getting the new job. And we booked a real quick trip to Mexico to celebrate. And it was like we got online and searched for like all inclusive places in New Mexico. And we basically bought the cheapest one we could find. Which, you know, in hindsight, it was not the best idea, but at the same time, like it was fine. Um so we booked this little place. We flew down to Mexico, just me and Micaiah, and got off the plane and you know, Makai speaks Spanish pretty well, and so you know we we got a cab or whatever it was, or no, it wasn't a cab. It was like the shuttle that takes you to all the different, um, you know, resorts down down the strip uh, outside of Cancun, and it was really funny because it was like uh, one of those like church bus type shuttle things, and you know it, it's pretty much packed with people, and everybody's going on vacation. They're all excited and everything, and they start driving you know away from the airport down the down the highway towards the, uh, resorts and they'll like announce each resort as they come up to it. And, you know, they're the entryways to all these resorts are just like beautiful palm trees and it's just perfectly manicured and everything and big, you know, ornate signage and gates and all this stuff. And we're all excited and, you know, you know, just like, oh my gosh, I wonder what ours is going to be like, you know, we keep driving. And as we keep going farther south, the resorts start to get like worse and worse, you know, and they every every spot they'll let a few people off and, you know, then keep cruising, right? And after a while, we had honestly passed probably 15 or 18 different resorts and literally they keep getting like, of course, you can't see the resort from the road, but you can see the entryway. And it went from like beautiful, epic entryways down to like dirt road and like a sign with a couple of lights out you know? And, uh, and we ended up getting there like after dark and we were the last people on the shuttle. We were, we were like going to the last stop. And literally this sign had like a couple lights out. They turned down, it's a dirt road. And we're literally thinking like, oh my God, like what have we gotten ourselves into? Right. (laughs) And we pull up you know, to the, to the front entry of this place, like where you drop off people and stuff. And, you know, there's like nobody anywhere. It was very like empty. And we walk inside and, you know, it was after dark, but it wasn't late, you know, it was probably eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, there's eventually like somebody comes up to the front desk and, you know, we check in and everything again, there's like nobody around at all. Check in and everything. And uh, they, you know, part of the all inclusive thing was like, you know, three meals a day, basically. Um, And so it was like we were expecting to eat dinner when we got there uh, because we, you know, had been traveling all day. And uh, we say like, you know, what's what are the dinner? You know, what are the food options right now? And they were like, well, the restaurant's already closed for the night, but um, we'll be happy to bring up, uh, you know, something to your room. You know, it was clear that, like, they had not thought through this. It, it just seemed like there was nobody there. Anyway, we go up to the room, and, you know, it's, like, you're basically, like, it wasn't bad. It was just odd that there was, like, nobody else there. And it certainly wasn't nice, but it wasn't bad, you know. And we go in the room, and there's, like, you know, like, cobwebs in the corners and stuff. And it's just kind of crappy. But we were just, like, laughing about the whole thing. Anyway, like, somebody knocks on the door after we check in and we open the door and this guy's standing there with like two um like plates that have just like peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the plate uh like cut in half like triangles and like I think there was a banana with it or like apple slices and then there was like saran wrap over the plates (laughs) and that was our dinner and we were just like laughing our asses off about the whole thing. Like, it was just so, so crappy. Uh, it, but it was just a hilarious, you know, <laughs> opening to that, that little trip, which I think we were there for like five days or something. Anyway, next day was better. We had a, We ended up having a great time there. You know, we went out to the beach and there's like a bar out there by the beach and we weren't the only people there. There was probably like a dozen other, you know, couples they were hanging around, but it it was, it was sparsely populated, but it was fine, you know, and you kind of laughing at the whole situation, but like they had like rum and cokes at the beach and stuff. And, you know, they were in these little, like, almost like a Dixie cup. So you had to get like a dozen of them to like get any kind of buzz going. Um, but it was cool. It was funny. And, uh, we had a great time. We sat out by the beach. We, we went snorkeling and, Rented a sea kayaks and paddled around in, in the Gulf there, and went down to this little cenote place. Um, I don't actually know what they call them in English, but that's what they were called down there. But it's like a freshwater cave, um, like like underwater cave kind of a situation, and you can snorkel down in there, and it's like just crystal clear, beautiful water, and it was a cool experience. You know, we had a, we had a great time just kind of goofing around. And, you know, we went into town one night and, like, ate at some Mexican place, and it was amazing, and, you know, the mariachi band and all the fun stuff, and it was just a cool, like, break, you know, we'd sat on the beach and smoke cloves on the beach and, like, play Scrabble at the bar, and, you know, just it's just a cool, hilarious little adventure, you know, and it it was a really fun time uh, before we kind of got busy with life and me, like, starting a job, like a real job, you know, which I was not excited about. But we get back, you know, from that trip, and it was cool and everything. And then, like, I think we had one weekend, and then, you know, I was going to start my new job on Monday, on that following Monday. And so, you know, I had to go and get, like, some work clothes, right? Like some khakis and some button-ups and, you know, some decent shoes. And, you know, in my life, I've been a, like, kind of jeans and flip-flops kind of guy and T-shirts. Like, I don't... I'm just not the kind of guy that likes to put on anything more than that. I felt like I was selling my soul in like some small way to like have to dress like somebody that I didn't feel like that was me, you know? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some for some of you guys that are used to dressing up and comfortable in that kind of clothing, like you maybe don't get it, but for someone like me who feels like the need to self-express, you know, I don't know, dressing like everybody else just feels like a noose around my neck. But that that's what the deal was, you know, and I was getting paid for it and I I was ready for this career in construction, you know, and and I was excited about it, honestly. You know, I I've I've been interested in construction. I think it's a cool, you know, it's very hands-on and physical and you get to see something built from nothing and and I was excited about that aspect of it. And my buddy, Fat, that I'd kind of gone through all the rest of my life with was already working at this company. Um, he had gotten a job, you know, just maybe three months before me. And so that was kind of my end, you know. He put in a good word for me and everything. And so I was super excited to get to work with him in, like, a real setting. And, uh, and then this other guy that worked there, Chris, uh, Fat had told me that he was, you know, really cool and everything. So I was excited to get to know him and everything. And, you know, so... There was a, it was a mix of feelings, you know. I was bummed out to actually have to go to the real world, but I was excited to to do the job that I'd sort of technically been trained to do, at least in terms of uh, you know an education. So I start the job, you know. I, I go in there and kind of meet everybody, and the the boss like gives me the tour of the place and all the stuff. And you know, I have a I have my own office, which was cool. You know, it was like a totally decent office. I had a big window. Um, Had like my my big desk and everything. It's all kind of built in, you know, desk situation. And then back behind my desk there was like the angled like plans table, like for the blueprints and stuff. And it was just cool, you know, it was clean, it was nice. I had my little computer there and I remember I got my little I had like a Grateful Dead mouse pad that I thought was super cool. (laughs) That was my only like true little picture of who I was, you know, deep down. It was cool. And, you know, I got started and basically as a project manager, you know, my job was to manage, you know, two to three, maybe four construction jobs at a time. I, I did a little bit of estimating and I was also like the warranty guy because after you finish a construction job, you're going to have a one year warranty on on your work. And so that's kind of the worst job in the whole place. But I was the new guy. So they gave me the warranty thing, and which means like. Some guy that like the owner of the Arby's that we built six months prior, like there was a plumbing issue and they would call me and I'd have to get somebody out there to go fix the plumbing. That kind of thing is it was annoying, but whatever. And pretty quickly, I learned two key life lessons in that job that honestly went to serve me very well, not only in construction, but have continued to serve me really well uh, in, in my life after construction. And one of those lessons came from my boss, Robert. He was actually the vice president of the company. And, you know, we got along pretty well. I, I liked Robert. And part of my training was I would just kind of shadow Robert a lot of the time. And I would go with him to his job site meetings and sit in on his meetings that he had, you know, at the office. And I would he would he would answer all his calls on speakerphone so that I could hear the conversation and kind of just learn from him in that way. And I did learn a lot. But one of the key things I learned was he got a call from a superintendent one day who was, uh, you know, on on the job site somewhere. I forget which job it was. But his superintendent calls in. And as the project manager, you know, the superintendent reports to the project manager. And so whenever there's a serious issue or something, you know, the superintendent calls the project manager and they've sorted out. And the superintendent sometimes will call in and just kind of kind of pass off his own responsibilities to the project manager and you kind of that's part of the job of the project manager is you you know you help where you need to help and you also delegate things to your super because you know they're getting paid to do this job too you know and so the super called in and explained this long complicated problem that I guess Robert decided uh, the super could have figured out himself and so after the guy finished explaining the whole problem Robert had listened to the whole thing and Robert said, "Well, sounds like you got a problem. Uh, let me know what you figure out. Talk to you later." And he hung up. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, wow. Like it seemed like he wanted you to figure that out." And Robert was like, "Yeah, he did, but you know what? If he would have sat down and thought about it a little bit longer, he could have figured it out himself and he doesn't need to bother me with that kind of stuff." And I was just like, "Damn, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Like just understanding, you know, your responsibilities and he had been doing it for a while and everything, but it it was just a good lesson to like, you don't have to solve everybody else's problems, you know, which, you know, obviously I'm, I'm translating that lesson into all of life, but it's, it's true both in work and in life. You know, you don't have to solve everybody else's problems. You can let them figure things out on their own. And you know, sometimes you do have to be the one to make the decision, you know, especially in the career situation. Uh, But a lot of times, you know, a good boss is one that that will let his, uh, you know, employees kind of use their own skills to to make decisions and and make things flow smoothly. So I really took that to heart. Like, you don't have to solve everybody else's problems. And somebody out there needs to hear that. So I hope that sinks in. You don't have to solve everybody else's problems. The second lesson I learned came from another guy who I was kind of training under Named Ricky, and Ricky was like this just sort of corn fed redneck kind of dude, like a just kind of i don't know just a gruff construction dude like you would expect, and he had been a superintendent for a long time, and then he got promoted to project management, so he was like, you know those are the guys that are really legit like they they've been out in the field, they really know how this stuff works, and uh they're not just like the college kids like me, you know that had graduated and gotten this job you know he he knew what was up so I was training under Ricky and basically when Robert wasn't around or available I would go in and ask Ricky questions or whatever but I didn't do that very many times because one of the first few times like he had given me a small grace period you know where I would have an issue or some some kind of question that would come up and I would walk across the hall to Ricky's office and say hey man you got a second you know and he'd say yeah what's up and uh, you know he was a nice guy but he also didn't want to Screw around, you know he was he was serious, um, so I'd say the problem whatever, and he'd say, "All right, you need to call this guy and do this thing that's that, okay, thanks and one day I went in there, and to be honest, like deep down, when I look back, I know why I did it, and I went in there because I was bored, I was tired of sitting at my desk, and I came across a problem that wasn't really a problem I mean I don't remember what it was, but it was something that I probably could have figured out on my own and But I wanted to get up and stretch my legs and go talk to someone. So I went into Ricky's office and I said, hey, man, you got a second? He said, yeah. And so I had brought in my plans for this job that I was looking at, laid them down on his desk and explained what I was asking him and what the problem was. And he kind of looked at it for a second and he reached up and he smacked me on the back of the head. pop, And he goes, figure it out yourself. And then he pushed his plans aside and sent me back to my office. And I was like, Damn. golly, like he literally hit me on the back of the head and said, figure it out yourself. And I was kind of pissed at first. And then I sat down with my plans and I thought, you know what? He's absolutely right. Figure it out yourself, you know, figure it out. And that was one of the best life lessons I've ever learned. A lot of people will say like, gosh, that guy's a jerk. And like, yeah, he was, but he was also somebody to learn from. And he was absolutely right. The ability to figure something out yourself is like maybe the greatest lesson you could learn in your life to just to be able to figure it out yourself be a problem solver not a problem maker or a problem haver be a problem solver you know and not to say that you shouldn't ask for help you should absolutely ask for help but you know put in some serious effort to figure it out yourself before you go and ask somebody else to do it for you basically and to use their head I don't know. It seems like every day there's like only a certain amount of uh, calculations that you can do in your head. Don't ask somebody to do one of yours for you. You know Th- that that takes their time and energy away from something that you could and should be doing yourself. And I just remembered that, and that really went and served me like really well in every aspect of my life later on. Which like you'll hear if you keep listening to this podcast how I really did have to figure things out myself. And honestly, without that lesson from Ricky, even though he was a jerk, (laughs) uh, I would not be where I'm at today for sure. So anyway, the day-to-day at MDH Builders was, uh, it started out okay. And then I got to the point where I really just kind of started to hate it. Um, It was fun to goof around with Fat and Chris. Chris and I became really good friends there. And we would go out to lunch every day, basically, and just have a good time. Um, Just kind of making each other laugh. You know, I really enjoyed the part about the job where I got to estimate jobs, where you kind of figure out what a job costs, like building a hotel or something. I had to come and put the numbers together on that. And that was a really fun job. I enjoyed the project management side of it a little bit, but it was stressful because I was constantly getting calls from subcontractors and, you know, my superintendent and having to solve problems. And, you know, it, it was just hard, you know, it was, it was kind of a real crash course, and it, it wasn't real easy. The other thing about it that sucked was that the work environment there was really toxic outside of my relationship with Fat and Chris. Everyone else there was um, except for Robert, I didn't mind Robert, but but everybody else there was, you know, just crass and definitely like some racist comments you know and you know it's kind of one of those things where like people make racist comments cuz they're trying to be funny and it might be kind of funny but also it's like come on dude you can't you can't do that <laughs> you know you can't use the n word just casually or at all you know it's it's just i just didn't like it i didn't like being around it it was very like Misogynistic, and the one of the things that I just it it was really hard for me to deal with. But they had hired a receptionist that was a former Hawaiian Tropic model, and you know, she was beautiful and everything, but she was still kind of like she was basically hired just to be something pretty to look at. And she actually had uh, behind her desk, like she kept them in a drawer, but she had eight by ten like glossy photos of herself, like topless, like like from her Hawaiian tropic days, like in bikinis and also just like topless. And she would, you know, the bosses would, would bring, you know, subcontractors in there and they would say like, hey, show them that picture. And she would literally pull out these pictures of herself topless and just show them to these guys. And, you know, there was rumors that she would go out to lunch with the bosses and like, flash her boobs and stuff and would go back into his into the boss's office and do that and she was just like basically selling herself like it was just sad and she was nice and she was cool and I saw those pictures once she was kind of trying to get some attention I guess and she showed them to me one day without me asking and I was like wow that's you know okay And, uh, I think I kind of made it clear that I, that's not really what I want to see. And I respected her more than she respected herself. And I was just like, Hey, you know, I tried to engage with her on a personal level and not just be a person that was interested in her body, like literally everyone else there. Um, so it was just nasty and gnarly. And like the project managers would send out emails to, you know, like inner office emails, with like serious pornography, not just like soft core stuff, but like serious stuff. It was just like disturbing. And, you know, you could call it sexual harassment. You know, I mean, I I don't know. I just didn't like it. And one day I went into Robert's office and I told him, I said, hey, man, um, I don't want to see these emails. They're totally not appropriate. And you're going to get in trouble with them later. Robert wasn't the guy sending them, but he was the vice president. He was on the email chain and he was allowing it to happen. And and he said, you know what, Jacob, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you saying something and I'm going to put a stop to that. And they slowed down, but then they picked back up and um, honestly, they just started leaving me off of the email and Robert, which was fine with me. You know, I, I didn't want to be, you know, honestly, I was trying to resist that type of thing, you know, and, since we're on the subject, I'll I'll mention, you know, I had had a period of time in my life where I was looking at porn, you know, just like pretty much every guy on the planet. And uh, and I had put that behind me because it's definitely it can be like an addiction and it can screw up your life and screw up your relationships. And, you know, in fact, one time when I was in college and I was dating uh, Casey, she had uh, she was working on my computer in my dorm room and she discovered uh, she'd like typed in a um, web address and it like auto completed to something I'd looked at in the past that was porn, you know, and it's just like she, she mentioned it to me and it was just like embarrassing. And, you know, I, I don't know, man, some some people don't have a problem with porn. They think it's fine. I'm not really one of those people do as you please, you know, but this is my life story. And so that was my situation. But anyway, I, I, I didn't, uh, didn't want to see that stuff, especially at work. It was just a nasty situation, and I didn't like it. So one good thing that happened was about six months into my working there, they uh, put me on a job in Cabot as the on-site project manager. You know, I, So on one hand, I was like excited to get out of the, the office, and basically I spent like four days a week in Cabot at this construction trailer where we were building a funeral home, which is most of the time in my life, that's the three places I tried to avoid, construction trailers, funeral homes, and Cabot. But I was happy to uh, get out of the office where the environment was just crappy. So that was cool, I got to go up to Cabot and sit in the construction trailer and kinda like get my hands dirty, you know? And uh, we had this project manager, or this uh, superintendent out there, this guy named Bob, this old country dude, skinny. I never. I was out there for six months, or no, I was out there for about three months. I never saw him eat anything. He would get there at like dawn, and he would leave at like six. He smoked cigarettes all day long. I mean, it, he was just one of those kind of rootin' tootin' guys. He was really cool. He was really funny. Totally inappropriate, like with his jokes, but I, you know, he was cool. And um, he'd said the n word way, way too much. Once is too much, but he would say it all the time but it was really weird how he would say it. It was, um, it it almost wasn't derogatory. It was just like a description. And I just kept saying like, Bob, you can't, you can't call him that dude. You can say black guy, you know, that's okay. But like, you can't say the N word, man. And also you don't really need to describe the race to me anyway, when you're telling something about somebody, I don't need to know that piece of information. Uh, but whatever, you know, it was Bob, and he was freaking old. And uh, it, it was all I could do to just, just just, try to remind him, like, dude, you can't say that, man. <laughs> um, but being with Bob out there was cool. And just we would sit in the, in the job trailer, and, you know, he basically handled everything. He was one of those guys that was – he really could have built the building, like, all by himself if he, if he uh, had to. Um, so that was all right. Better than being in the office, especially because somewhere during that first year there – uh, Fat and Chris, well, Fat left first. He took a job with another company for the same reason why I didn't want to be there anymore. And then eventually Chris took a job at another company. So now I don't have any friends in the office. And when I would spend my one day a week in the office, it honestly just sucked. Like I had alienated myself. The guys knew they didn't invite me out to lunch. They didn't include me on their emails, which like a lot of it was porn. But a lot of it was just kind of inner office joking, like kind of. I don't know, water cooler type stuff. And not that I really wanted to be involved, but I had absolutely no social like friends at work, which really sucked. And I'm working at the job trailer with with Bob and Cabin and it just kind of, <laughs> I was bummed out, you know? I was I was sick of like being required to be somewhere from, you know, eight to five every day. And I was sick of tucking my shirt in all the time, you know? And I was sick of trimming my beard for my job you know it was just dumb I just couldn't see the point in it and you know so that was the situation you know I and I I shouldn't complain too much but that's that's how I was feeling you know I, I felt totally like unappreciated unused and unliked at that place and on top of that the reputation that the company had was pretty poor Like, I would call people for bids. Like, I would call subcontractors for a bid, like a framer or an electrician or, you know, a a painter or whatever. And I would say, I'm looking for a bid for this job. I'm I'm Jacob with MDH Builders. And and they'd say, oh, no, 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 we're not working with MDH, you know. And we owed people money all over town. And so, anyway, it was just a crappy situation. And I didn't love it, but I was making decent money and whatever. And I knew that I was a new guy and I probably wouldn't be there forever, but it still was... Kind of a bummer to be there. Anyway, towards the end of the year, you know, I'm still working on the job trailer and Cabot and everything, but you know and Christmas kind of came, and it was you know no real great big memories from that Christmas. But on New Year's Eve, we had made some plans to go up to a cabin with some new friends of ours, Ben and Angie. And we had just met them recently. We we had known them from through some other friends, kind of prior to that. But we had just started kind of hanging out with them, and we would go and hang out for dinner and drink a bottle of wine and 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 that sort of thing. And so, when New Year's Eve came up, we were like, "Let's go, let's go to a cabin somewhere and just kind of do our thing out there," you know. And so that's what we did. We went out to uh, this cabin up in the Ozark Mountains, and you know, we were just kind of hanging out, and you know goofing around, listening to music. Me and Ben were standing out in the yard. We were grilling and smoking a cigar and just kind of chatting about life and everything. And kind of as you do around New Year's, you start to look at, you know, where you've been and you look at where you're going. You know, it's a good time to kind of take a step back and take stock of your life and, and what's happening. And Ben and I start talking about, you know, our jobs and how it's going. He was in construction too, but he did more residential stuff while I was doing, you know, commercial stuff. And Ben was like the hands-on guy. And I was kind of the in the office guy, you know, and we didn't work together, but we were both in the same field and we both enjoyed it. And so we're talking about that and stuff and and looking at where we're going and we, we grill and everything. And then we kind of carried the conversation inside uh, with the ladies and we're sitting around the table, you know, eating. And it ended up, the conversation just kind of carried on throughout the whole evening we were just kind of talking and dreaming a little bit you know and then the conversation turns into you know well let's look at the future you know what's what's your dream situation what's your dream job what you know where do you want to go with your life you know we're in our 20s and you know it's like the world's at your fingertips but you also don't really have all the options or i don't know you you do but you don't you know you have to create your own opportunities in a lot of ways So we're talking about, you know, what do we want to do with our lives? And so then the question goes around of what is your dream job? You know, what's your dream job? And, you know, everybody kind of said their thing. And to be honest, like, I don't remember what everybody's dream job was. But what I said for my dream job was I would like to own a little, you know, kind of a small uh, residential construction company where we would build houses. And, you know, ideally like cool houses, like cabins and, you know, lodges and that sort of thing and you know just kind of that that was the niche i wanted to be in and residential is a little harder to get into because well that's just kind of how it is most residential construction companies are small and they're not hiring like lots of people and but i was like that's what i want to do you know i got a construction degree you know i can get a contractor's license and i can just do this on my own and in theory i knew how to do it you know and you know, it's not really much different from building a hotel or a restaurant or, a you know, at and store, which is what I had spent my time on that year. So I was like, yeah, that's that's my dream job. I want a little construction company and, uh, and kind of do my thing. And then we kind of went around and kept talking about that. And then the question became, OK, well, what's like your dream, dream job? And the differentiation that we made was like the dream job is like pretty realistic and pretty, you know, attainable to be honest, if you put your mind to it and and get after it, you know, you can get the dream job. And the dream, dream job was like more fantastical. You know, it would be like playing in the NBA or writing for Rolling Stone magazine or, you know, go to the moon or something like the the big, big things, right? Um, That you would just do anything if you could get to do that, right? And uh, Angie, you know, when it came around to her, she said, you know, we all kind of had to think about it a little bit. And we came around to Angie and she said, you know, I think I would like to be a photographer. And I knew that she was interested in that. And I I was too. And uh, so we had talked about that some. And she said, like, you know, I think that'd be really cool and kind of described it a little bit. And, and I found myself like, really, um, you know, first of all, about me, like, I just love hearing people's dreams. I love hearing what people want to do with their life. I love hearing about, when people have a big idea that they're kind of scared of, but they really want to pursue it, but they're kind of scared to pursue it. And I love encouraging people to just chase those things and chase down those dreams and make them a reality. And I love, um, you know, just encouraging people, which, you know, if you think about the word encouragement, the root word is courage. And when you encourage, you are like bestowing courage upon someone to do something. So it's encouragement is giving of courage to one another. And so I love doing that, you know, because I got a lot of courage and a lot of people don't. And that's one thing that I get to do. And I'm really feel good at doing is just giving people that encouragement that they need and saying like, you can absolutely do this, believe in yourself, go freaking do it, you know? And so I was like really encouraging Angie, you know, to pursue the photography thing. And you know she was like i don't know you know maybe and stuff like that and anyway then it gets around to me and i honestly hadn't even been hadn't even thought about what my dream dream job would be like and i i kind of was forced to sit there and think about it for the first time and i sat back and after talking to angie about photography i was like well hell i would like to do photography that sounds awesome you know like it it had been a hobby of mine since since my time in guatemala but i thought that would be pretty awesome. And I know a couple of, you know, seemingly successful photographers and I, could, I would like to do that, you know? And then, I, so I said that. I said, I'd like to be a photographer. And almost as the words came out of my mouth, I thought, oh shit, now I have to take all of the advice I just gave Angie and do it myself or else I'm a total hypocrite, right? Like, how can I be encouraging her to take the risk if I'm not willing to you know put my money where my mouth is and try it myself when it's really is what I'd love to do, and for me at that time, I thought that's so far beyond like where I'm at that I just can't even see it really happening, but I also knew that you know if if you don't try, you don't do you know you, you don't achieve something that you don't try at, you know, and my dad has always told me. Nobody's just going to pick up the phone and offer you your dream job. You got to go out there and try to get it. You know, it, people don't just hand you free stuff. And so I was like, damn, now I got to take the advice I'm giving to Angie. And it was like, it was, it was heavy to sit there under that, but also exciting. Like, oh, wow, I'm about to embark on a whole new journey that, you know what? I'm pretty damn sure I can attain that thing and uh so that's what we're going to talk about next time i didn't achieve that quickly but oh yes i got there baby and the the water was sweet just like i thought it would be we're going to talk about how i'm just constantly dreaming about this career in photography it's like the light on the hill that is beckoning me to continue to step forward we're gonna talk about switching construction companies, which was an amazing experience that turned into another shitty experience. We're gonna talk about going to Italy with Ben and Angie and just having the time of our lives traveling around Italy. And we're gonna talk about just living it up for what would eventually become the last year of our lives without kids. So stick around for that. It's gonna drop next Monday, just like always. And hey, follow me on Instagram if you think about it, if you're on Instagram, if you care about these things. My Instagram name is Jacob Slayton, and I will you know, occasionally post pictures from this podcast uh, so you can kind of see some visuals of what my life was like during those years, and there's all kinds of other fun nonsense on there. So check it out, and uh, I'll catch you next week.